Thank you very much, Bertie. It's nice to be with you tonight and to, to have the opportunity to bring God's Word. We're going to turn together to Matthew's Gospel and chapter 13. Matthew's Gospel and chapter 13. And we're going to read one of the parables of the Lord Jesus. So we turn to Matthew chapter 13 and we're commencing to read, please, at verse 24. Matthew 13 and verse 24. Another parable put Jesus forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field from whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares ye Root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather you together first the tares. Bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Come over with me then, please, to verse 37. The disciples have said to him, What's the meaning of the parable? And Jesus begins to tell them its meaning. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Amen, and we know God will bless the public reading of his inerrant word. Let's unite in prayer together. Our gracious heavenly Father, we come into thy presence and we thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to present the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would Grant that anointing of your Holy Spirit. We pray for an intense sense of your presence, Lord. We ask that your word would go forth with power and in demonstration of the Spirit. I give myself, Lord, completely to you. Pray that you would cleanse me and sanctify me. That you would fill me now, Lord, with the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, speak. And I pray for every soul gathered that, Lord, their ears may be unstopped. 
I pray a hedge around about us and your glory to be in the midst. These things we ask, giving thanks in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I'm sure like myself, you've been witnessing combines, tractors, all working the fields to bring in the various crops. And being brought up on the farm, it was a very regular thing at every season of harvest to watch the crops being brought in. And here in the Bible, God sets before us not the annual harvest that we experience every year, but his final harvest, which he describes and uses that illustration of the gathering in of the grain to communicate a great truth that is very rarely talked about in civil society today, where people don't want to consider or to think about the truths that Jesus Christ presented when he was here on earth. I find it bizarre at times whenever you meet people who are maybe not Christians and they say, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in the Bible, I don't believe any of that stuff. And yet whenever they lose a loved one, they invariably always say that, well, they're at peace now and they're in heaven. You never hear anybody saying anything other than that. Whether they're atheist or not, they're always okay now. They're in heaven, they'll be okay. There's something inside every man that recognizes that there is this thing called eternity. People want to deny it. People want to shy away from it for various reasons. But the Bible says God has placed eternity in the heart of every man and woman. In this parable that Jesus presented to his disciples, he first of all led before them that there were two great powers operating in the world. One of the things I find difficult as I read the Bible, as I study the Bible, as I think about the Bible, is the many answers to questions I don't have. I don't fully or even, not even remotely, understand the Trinity. I don't fully understand the issues of what happens when a person leaves their body. I don't fully comprehend the significance of the soul, the body, and the spirit. There are so many things I don't understand. I can't comprehend how God listens to everybody, all his people, praying at the one time, and he interprets that and answers them accordingly. It's, it's vast. It's beyond my comprehension. You see, on occasions, people have said to me, you see, you don't have the answers. And I say, well, that proves that I believe in God because if I did have all the answers, then God wouldn't be a very big person, would he, if I had all the answers? You would expect that there would be things about God that a human wouldn't understand. That would make him God. And that's why the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding." Because there's things we can't understand. There's things we can't get an answer to. 
But as Christians, we have a worldview that is very different to many others. And the worldview we have is that there are two great powers operating in this world. Is there evidence of these two great powers? Well, of course there is. You see, what I find fascinating is that there are many today who proclaim in various parts that they don't believe in God. And they don't believe in anything beyond life, that we as we are, that is life. And once we come to the end, we're like an animal, we go into the grave and that's it over. And many people want to believe that. But I sometimes find it interesting, you will occasionally on the television, you might see uh, some person who's doing a little bit of uh, adventure into a home where there are ghosts. These programs are on all the time. And they go into these places and things do happen. These places that are supposedly full of ghosts or bad spirits. And things do happen and people do have experiences. They're not Christians. But you see, friends, all that it does is it simply helps us to understand there is a world beyond our world. We can't see it, but it's there. The Bible says the things that are seen are temporal. But the things that are not seen, they are eternal. On many occasions, as a Christian, I have been in either a prayer meeting or in private prayer, and I have become acutely aware of a wonderful presence coming into the room or the place where I am, and maybe in a prayer meeting, and where everybody at the very same time become aware that this lovely, wonderful, holy Pure, gracious presence has filled the place. I've experienced that. Friends, I I have no doubt whatever, experimentally, but the Bible is my authority, but my experience lines up with the Bible that there are two powers. There are two great powers. Jesus here describes them. The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the enemy that sowed the tares, Jesus said, is the devil. The devil. Now I want you to understand that there is a living entity, a powerful being that was created by God, and that personality fell And he was called Lucifer, son of the morning. He was the anointed cherub. All God's beautiful stones were laid into him. He was the most beautiful created being that God made. But the Bible says that he fell into pride. And he sought to take over the throne of God. And God cast him down to the earth. And he's what we call the devil. And who Jesus called the devil. Not only is he an enemy of God, but he's the enemy of the soul of every man and woman. 
And his desire and plan under his kingdom and his minions that work for him is to do as much damage as possible into your life. And if you're not a Christian, to make sure that you do not come to the Lord Jesus Christ and that you die in your sin without God and without hope. That is his plan and his agenda. For the Bible says he has come to kill, to steal, and to destroy. You see, friends, the Bible tells us that this one, the Lord Jesus, is coming to gather grain. The Bible says that this one comes and he sows the good seed. Jesus said that's the work of the kingdom. And you know, since the days of the early church, the the good seed of the kingdom has been, been sowed. All the missionaries down through the centuries, all the men and women and young people that felt the call of God, all the pastors and preachers and open-air preachers, as they all declared the everlasting gospel of the love of God and the mercy of God and the salvation of God through faith in Jesus Christ, my dear friends, that good seed has been going out. And God still sends it out and it goes out to you tonight. Thank God there is good seed. Thank God in this world that has so much sin, so much darkness, so much evil, that there's a God in heaven who has given his own son and given us the Holy Spirit and given us a message of salvation to proclaim to every man and woman. Oh yes, there's There's a Savior, and he's come with light, and he comes with truth. But then, my dear friends, there's the deceiver. There's the enemy. There's the fallen angel. The Bible says about this particular character in this parable, Jesus said, while men slept, the deceiver done his work. While people were not alert, while people were in a dozy state, the devil did his work. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but in the Garden of Eden, whenever God put Adam in with Eve, that the devil never came when Adam was with her. He came when she was alone. And the greatest temptations you'll ever have in your life will come when you're alone. And the devil knows exactly what to throw at you because he knows the areas of failure in your life. He knows your propensity. As one man said many years ago, he has got a cookery book and he knows just what you like. And he dishes it up to you. To keep you in that way of life, in that way of sin, in that way of addiction, whatever it might be, he will keep you there and he will keep feeding you there because he wants to keep you asleep. When Eve was in the garden, the serpent came and he lied to her and she didn't have Adam to turn to. And she listened to him. 
And the, the old devil has a voice because the Bible says he's a liar from the beginning. He never appears and comes on and says, listen, I'm the devil. He doesn't do that. But he speaks. He speaks. There are so many particular messages that he conveys into the heart of men and women. And I don't know what he might be saying to you tonight. I don't know what state your soul is in tonight. I don't know if you're a Christian or not. I can't tell. But God knows. And while the devil doesn't know everything, there's many things he does know. And he has a vested interest in your soul. And God wants you to be interested in your soul. You see, friends, the Bible says whenever men were sleeping, he sowed his tares. He worked in the darkness and he did as much damage as he could. Look at the world today. Look at what's happening today. Lift up your newspapers, switch on the news. Catastrophe after catastrophe. Tragedy after tragedy. Death after death. Sickness after sickness. Pain after pain. We're not in the land of the living. We're in the land of the dying. But if you know the Lord, then you're going to the land of the living. Because there is a land that is fairer than day. Because there is a country better than any country on the earth. It's a place where roses never fade. It's a place where there's never a funeral. Where there's never a headstone or a cemetery. Where there's never a hospital or a doctor. Where there's never an undertaker. My dear friends, the former things the Bible says are all passed away. And that's the wonderful hope of the Christian. I wonder, do you have that hope this evening in this meeting? You see, there are two powers that are signified and laid before us in this passage. But then there are also two people. Two people. Jesus says in verse 38, he said, The field is the world and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. Now I want you to notice this. That this is what Jesus said. Jesus said that the people on the earth. He said some of those people are his people. They're the children of God's kingdom. But he said there are other people. And he said they're the children of the wicked one. Now I want to ask you tonight. And I want you to answer honestly. Which one is your father? Is the Lord Jesus Christ the God of heaven your father? Or is the devil your father? 
Don't evade it now. I want you to answer it in your heart. Who's your father? So often we can go into church and people say, they bow their head, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And everybody prays the Lord's prayer. But of course that doesn't mean because you pray that prayer that God is your father. I've told the story before. I used to preach in the open air in Lisbon for years. And when the children were small, everybody would be milling about around Lisbon and children and adults and so on. And when I was finished the open air, my children would run up to me and they would catch my pockets and they would say, sweets, sweets. And if I had money, I would take out some of it, not all of it, some of it, and I'd give it to them. Let them go and buy sweets. But if all the children in Lisbon came to me and said, sweets, sweets, I would say, hold on a minute. (laughs) These are not my responsibility. These are my children here. I know my children. My dear friends, God knows his children. God knows his children. Are you one of his children? Have you come to him? Has God become... Your father. Coming 17 years of age, many, many years ago, I could bring you to the very spot where I bowed my heart in an old tent in Kiliman. And as God spoke to me by the power of the Holy Spirit and the everlasting gospel was being preached of the love of God for sinners, of Christ dying for the ungodly, I realized my terrible plight before God. And I realized that I was lost before him. Uh, And in that campaign one night, I called out with all my heart, God, have mercy on me. God, forgive me for my sin. Come into my life. Make me your child. And I meant it with all my heart. And friends, that night I was born again of God's Spirit, and I became a Christian. And I received the witness of the Holy Spirit, and I knew down deep in my heart for the first time that, I, that I'm okay now. No matter what happens in life, it's, it's okay, because the Lord is now my shepherd. He's in me, he's, he's living in me, and he's my Savior. You see, friends, there's two people in the text, but I want you to notice something about them. That whenever these tares were sowed, the wicked ones were living on the earth with the righteous ones. If the godly and the ungodly intermingling in business, intermingling in their lives, there they are. And the wicked ones are bringing all their wickedness and the righteous ones are permeating with righteousness. And this is going on on the earth. And the angels say to the Lord, they say, will we go in and and take away the righteous? Will we divide them? And the Lord said, no. No, don't divide them on earth. We'll not divide them on earth. Let them all grow together. Let them all live together. You see, friends, God causes the sun and the rain to fall on the godly and the ungodly. God gives so many benefits and blessings and showers them from heaven 
on the godly and the ungodly. He gives food, he gives children, he gives blessings galore on those that hate him and those that love him. Because his nature is good. The Bible says, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. God's intention is always to save. Always to help. Always to rescue. Always to redeem and buy back. Always to find a way of forgiveness. You know, friends, sometimes as believers and as preachers, we can nearly make it a bit complex for people in becoming a Christian. And sometimes I have met people and they've said, well, what do you actually have to say? I want to be able to say the right words. I remember a man years ago, and he happened to be a Roman Catholic, and we were talking together. And as I explained the way of salvation to him, I realized God was speaking to him. And he said to me, listen, tell me the exact words to say, because I want to get this right. Do you know what the Bible says? It shall come to pass... That whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's going to be an awful lot of people, my friend, in heaven we didn't expect to be there. There's going to be those that we maybe thought that man was never a Christian. That woman was never a Christian. But in their dying moments, God's mercy may have been extended even in an unconscious or semi-conscious state and they called out to God for salvation. God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. I remember talking, i done a mission down outside Dromore years ago And afterwards, a man who led the meeting was an elder in the Presbyterian church. And he said to me, I have a really unusual testimony. I said, I'd love to hear it. Well, he said, I went to church and heard the gospel. But he said, I wasn't very fond of going to meetings. I knew I needed to be saved, but that was the height of it. And he said, I'd done nothing about it. For I was that busy with the farm and business. Uh, Those things weren't priority in my life. And he said, one day I was up on a roof. And he said, when I was on the roof, suddenly it gave way. And he says, I fell 25 feet and hit the ground. And he says, between the roof giving way and me hitting the ground, I was saved. I said, that wouldn't have been any more than a couple of seconds. He says, I have no idea how long it was, but what I know is that when I began to fall, I called on the Lord, and before I hit the ground, I was born again. And that man had a life and a testimony to prove it to be true. Oh, my dear friend, call on the Lord. In the darkness of your sin, as you're under the ownership and the tyranny of the devil, Call out to this great God tonight who loves you. Call out to the great creator who's never far from you. The one who gives you breath to breathe. The one, the one who has given you all the abilities and skills that you have. Call out to him for mercy. He'll save you. He'll save you. 
You see, my dear friends, they are companions together, the righteous and the unrighteous. But then, of course, there's that area of ownership. There's that area of who you belong to. A funny story is told of a little lady. I don't know if it's true or not, but I remember a preacher telling it years ago. And he said there was this harvest service. Uh, Sorry, it was Halloween time. There was a church service, and it was the Halloween night. And the church was full to capacity, and there was a little lady in, and she was maybe a wee bit overweight. And she was sitting in the seat and finding it a bit hard to move about in the seat. But anyway... The, the lights went out in the place with a thunder and lightning storm and the minister was standing at the front and there were bits of candles that got lit and it wasn't too well lit but at the back there was a boy in a fancy dress and he was on his way to a Halloween party and he was dressed like the devil. And so whenever all the lightning come and the lights went out and they got the candles going didn't the boy jump in through the back door because he thought he was at the party. Well, when the people turned around and saw this boy standing, they took to their heels and they went out the church as quick as blue stew could take them and they went out and tramped over each other. But this poor wee woman, she couldn't get out quick enough. She was stuck in the pew. And so when he walked over to her, she turned around and she says, I promise you I was always yours. (laughs) I was always yours. And that can happen when people are sitting in the church. When people are in the religious setup, but they're still the devils, still belong to the devil. You see, my dear friends, God wants you to recognize where you are before him tonight. So that when this great harvest event does take place, that you'll be in the kingdom. That's all that matters, that you'll be in the kingdom. You see, not only is there two powers in the text, and not only are there two people in the text, but there's two places in the text. You see, the Lord Jesus, when he's interpreting it, he said that the tares are to be gathered And burned in the fire. Isn't that awful? People. Children of the devil. People who won't repent. People who are stubborn. People who are deceived. Believing perhaps that if you're good, you'll get to heaven. My friends, the Bible says, it is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to God's mercy that he has saved us. The only people who will be in heaven are the ones who are able to confess Christ died for me. And outside Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. Outside knowing him, there's no way to heaven. For Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father 
except through me. Isn't it good there is a door to heaven? Isn't it great news tonight in the midst of this dying, sin-filled, sorrow-filled, pain-filled world that there's a saviour? That there's a rescuer, that there's one who can help us. That there's one who can come into our very lives. And who has promised and cannot lie that one day he would take us to heaven to be with him forever. It's a wonderful story, my friends. It's a wonderful story. You see the two places... are presented whenever the harvest is being brought in. You know, you could live to be an old man or woman and nothing might happen to you that's very bad. In fact, Ecclesiastes makes it very clear that there are people who live godless lives and they, they go through life okay. They have riches, they have health, they have fun. Life's been good to them. Bible sometimes talks about people who have lived righteously and everything didn't go well for them. But harvest hasn't come yet. The time to pay has not been presented yet. It is appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment. I want you to be aware that there's a day of judgment. I want you to be aware, according to God's word, that there is a day when you and I will give account of ourselves to Almighty God. You say, I don't believe that. doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. It's still going to happen. You see, friends, not only are these wicked entities, these demonic powers and kingdom of darkness bringing darkness into the lives of people that ultimately end up in the fire, but the Bible says that those who are good and the good seed are gathered in to the barn. There's a gathering in of the righteous. There's a gathering in of those who know the Lord. Now, in closing, you say, well, Alan, what does it mean, the righteous? What does actually Jesus mean when he says the righteous on the earth will be gathered in to the barn, to safety? What is he meaning? Does it mean people who do good works? No, it doesn't. You see, the Bible says that all our righteousnesses are filthy rags in the sight of God. You could do lots of good works, and I commend you for doing them, but if you're doing them to get to heaven, then you're doing the wrong thing. Because the hymn writer rightly said, nothing can for sin atone. 
nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. You see, God knew that you and I were sinners. God knew that we were born wrong. He knew that we would do wrong. He knew that we would go wrong. He knew all that. He knows every thought in your mind. He knows all the deeds you have done in your past. He knows the worst about you, and yet there's no one loves you like him. He alone can meet your deepest needs because he made you and you were created by him and for him. And there is a vacuum and an emptiness in your life that can only be filled and satisfied when your creator comes inside you to live. Say, well, well, how does God make me righteous then? Well, it's nothing you can do. Many of us, I'm sure tonight, have tried the root of good works. Religion, church going, church attendance, giving to charities, all commendable things, but will never get you to heaven. You see, Jesus said, except a man is born again, he he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, friends, when I was born physically into this world, I then very quickly became conscious through five senses that I was in this world. Through my smelling, touching, tasting, seeing, hearing, I became conscious, and I'm conscious tonight that I'm in a physical world. I can see it. I can smell. I can hear. I can touch. I'm in a physical world. I was born into this world. It's a real world. It's temporal, but it's real. But Jesus, when he was speaking to Nicodemus, he said, there's another world. It's an eternal world now. It's going to last. When this one's over, the other one's not going to be over. But just as you had to be born, as I had to be physically born into this world and have those five senses to make me aware of this world. So Jesus said, you need another birth. You're going to need another birth. And that birth will open your spiritual senses and you'll become so aware of the next world. You'll begin to recognize the reality of that world because you have now been born into God's kingdom. You have become a child of God. If you were to face eternity in the next 24 hours, which of the two places would you go to? It's more important than your job, your boyfriend or your girlfriend. It's more important than money and cars and land and jobs. Where would you be five minutes after you died? Would you be with Christ, which is, Paul said, is very far better? Or God forbid, would you be in that place where Jesus said, the rich man 
lifted up his eyes in torment and cried out, I am tormented in this flame. Have you ever considered calling on the Lord? The one who went to the cross for you, who who took your place when he died on the cross, that God took all the sin and all the judgment against your sin that you have committed, that God took all that judgment and poured it in on Jesus, and Jesus died the just for the unjust to bring you to God, to bring me to God, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should never perish, but have everlasting life. You ever given your life to him? Ever called out to him? Do you want to be his child? Do you want to be sure of heaven? Do you want of eternal life? Do you want to have a witness inside you that just says, I know that I belong to the Lord and I know I'm going to heaven? Do you like that? Well, the requirement is you must repent. You've got to turn from your sin. You've got to say to God, I I recognize I am a sinner and I, I have broken your law and I'm guilty, but Lord, I'm sorry for my sin and I turn from my sin. And the Bible says it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Would you want to come to him? I was doing meetings recently and the man was sitting in the meeting. There wasn't that many there. I didn't know whether he was interested or not, but he went out. And he said to me at the door, he said, that that really spoke to me. He said, that really spoke to me. And he walked down the corridor and out the door, but after five minutes as others went out, he came back in again. And he came down back to me, a man probably in his late 50s, early 60s, He said, could I speak to you? Of course you can speak to me. He said, I would like you to tell me how that I can have eternal life. His son was with him and his son turned around and says to me, he said, this is not my dad, you know. I said, oh, is it not? I thought you said it was your dad. No, no, I don't mean that. He says, this is not what my dad does. He said, I have never seen my dad do this. My dad's not a man that would talk to preachers. If my dad was in a meeting, he'd be in and out. And he says he would, he would avoid the, the preacher like the plague. He said, I'm a Christian, but I can tell you as a preacher, God's speaking to my daddy. It was wonderful to see that man acknowledging his sin before God, 50, 60 years of sin, and repenting and inviting Christ to come into his life. He was so thrilled and full of joy when he trusted the Lord, and he says, I'll be back every night. I thought, this is good. 
Lo and behold, I was back several nights and he wasn't back at all. Well, being a skeptical preacher, I thought to myself, I wonder, is that maybe just an old false profession? God help us, I hope I haven't been involved in that. I don't want to do that. But the wee lady that had arranged the mission, she contacted me when I was on holidays and she said, Alan, do you remember the man that said he'd come back? I says, I do. What about him? Oh, she says he couldn't get back. But she says he has been, went to the local Baptist church and told the pastor, I got saved at that mission. I've come to know the Lord and I want to follow the Lord. What about you tonight? Is God speaking to your heart as we close? Is God speaking to your heart? Recently, I was up in Scotland and a man was telling me a story, and it's true, of an ungodly man who was on a, on a bus. He was a bus, bus conductor many years ago in Glasgow. And this man got onto the bus. This man had heard the gospel from he was a child, but he hadn't done anything about it. And he got onto the bus, quite a refined man. He sat up in the bus. And this conductor came down and he was a rude man, not a Christian. And they got into some kind of altercation and uh, disagreement. And the bus conductor says, go to hell. Go to hell. Well, the man was so offended and affronted. But when he got home, he contacted the bus company and he said, one of your conductors in such and such a number, he was very rude to me. Told me to go to hell. Oh, they said, you leave him with us. We'll deal with him. So they brought him in and they said, you, you were on the bus and you were extremely rude to one of the men. Oh, he said, I was. He annoyed me. Well, they said, if you want to keep your job, you'll go and apologize to that man. I well, all right, then I will. And they give him the address. And this rude, crude man walked his way over Glasgow and got to the man's door and he knocked the door and the man came and he says I'm the man that was very rude to you he said you are well he said I've come to tell you something what have you come to tell me don't go to hell don't go to hell and the man was converted through the words of an ungodly man my dear friends Don't go to hell. Don't go to hell. Make sure you come to the Lord. Make sure you come to Jesus. He's a wonderful friend. And from the youngest child tonight in this meeting to the oldest man or woman, he welcomes you. Little one, little child in the meeting tonight, Jesus loves you. Jesus cares for you. And Jesus wants to live in you and through you. And he wants you to open your heart to him and invite him to come in and have control in your life. He loves little children. And he loves the middle-aged and the old. And he wants to come into your life. Will you let him come in tonight? Will you let him fill your heart with joy? and peace. It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call, call on the name of the Lord
shall be saved. Let's bow in prayer. Now, while every head is bowed in prayer, I'm going to do something that was done for me almost 40 years ago. If tonight in this meeting, from the youngest child to the oldest adult, say, Alan, God has been speaking to me, and I want the Lord in my life, and I want to be a Christian, and I'm prepared to follow Jesus and give my life to him tonight. I'm prepared to turn my back on my sin and ask him to take control. If that's your heart's desire tonight, then I'm going to give you a prayer that you can pray. The prayer won't save you. It's Jesus who saves you. But the prayer will help you to talk to God. So if that's you, I want you to follow me in these words. Lord Jesus, thank you for speaking to me. I realize that I am a sinner. And I'm sorry for all my sin. I now repent and turn from it to you. I open my heart now to you, Lord. Come into my heart and my life. Save me now. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me and for coming in to my life. Help me now to live the Christian life and to tell others what you have done for me. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.